you need to find somebody that's going to humble you. You need to find that person in the locker room going to say, hey, you ain't got nothing yet. Hi, my name is Prince Daniels Jr. And I'm a former NFL running back, an author and thought leader who lives by the mantra, nothing is impossible unless you truly believe it is. I found the Game Beyond the Game Talk that talk as a place for thought-provoking and inspiring conversations with professional athletes discussing life's transitions. Game Beyond the Game is an ecosystem for professional athletes to cultivate the mindset to discover their overall purpose and vision in the game of life. And now, it's time to talk that talk with your MC, Stan Pearson II, and myself, Prince Daniels Jr. And now you know how I do. I have to introduce our guests as the rock stars they are. So I'd like you all to welcome, clap your hands, up your feet for Cordera Howard, who is originally from Phoenix City, Alabama, and attended Georgia Tech, where he played football, where he received a two-time All-ACC All-American recognition, playing for the NFL Buffalo Bills and the Baltimore Ravens. He played three seasons and played three seasons in the Canadian Football League for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He has transitioned from the professional league days to now being a father of three and entrepreneurship that he describes as refreshing journey that he embarks on daily and currently has financial advising practice in Atlanta, Georgia, which is absolutely amazing. So again, clap your hands, stub your feet for Cordero Howard, ladies and gentlemen. I know you Chris, I can't deal with you right now. <laughs> it's real. It's real. Cordero, man, how are you doing, brother? How you feeling? Yeah, I'm blessed. I'm blessed, man. Thanks, you guys, for having me on. Um, as always, it's a pleasure speaking and enjoying great company and conversation, right? That's what it's about. So yeah. I'm glad to be here. You got the stage. You got the stage. <laughs> so officially, let's, you know, Phoenix, Phoenix City, Alabama. Tell us, what was, what was it like growing up there? What are your, you know, your memories from Phoenix City? Well, let's just... For me, a lot of it is transition, transition, transition back home. Because uh, honestly, um, originally my mother is from Columbus, Georgia. My dad's from Alabama. So I spent a lot of time between both. And eventually my mother moved on over to the Alabama side and transitioning from not having your friends around to, you know, being in the whole scene of just something different, very small. I mean, one high school, one middle school, and elementary school, just this. I guess we call it that typical country living, right? So I um, I enjoyed it because you were able to make a great time out of absolutely nothing. <laughs> and when I say that, I say, come on, let's be realistic. I live in Atlanta now. You see these high school kids, these middle school kids got a lot of activities. What do we have to do back home? It was bonfires, which were a blast. You go to fairs, stuff like that. But for the most part, let's be honest, places like that is sports. Um, it's Friday night football in high school shut the city down. You see people, people, businesses would close early. Everyone's going to be at Garrett Harrison Stadium, which was my high school stadium. So that that part of the culture is what I got to embrace once I moved over there. Because being on the um, being in Columbus, Georgia, it was it was the second largest city in Georgia outside of Atlanta. So there was a lot more to do. And my folks, some of my folks were military, so it was a military base right there. So. You got to see everything. So you go from all that to the country living. It's like, uh, I don't know about that. But you, but you, but you enjoyed it. Um, it's kind of ties into to just. It kind of ties into who you are now. Like you, it's always something about you know leaving the nest and and the roots. You know, you uproot yourself and you leave. But sometimes even when you settle down and 
get a hold of reality, you root back down and you get back to who you are. So that was just that was the, the biggest part of my growing up was just being able to naturally enjoy who you are and naturally enjoy people and appreciate people for who they were. That's the biggest thing in those small places, because everyone has to interact. We don't have a mall. We didn't have a mall. We're going to run into everybody at Kmart or Walmart or Winn-Dixie or Piggly Wiggly. Let's be Piggly Wiggly! So let's be honest with yourselves. Guys, Piggly Wiggly does exist. So it does. And they had those quarter sodas in the machine, and I used to light them up. And you can't put a quarter in the machine and get a soda now. Trust me. You better, you better put that dollar in there. Are you sure? Sure. Maybe to inflation. It's right. Inflation is a real thing. It's funny because growing up, a lot of folks thought that the Piggly Wiggly was a myth. It was just on these old shows. But, you know, Piggly, I was so excited when I actually saw a real one in real life. It, it's right. real. It's real. Piggly what Wiggly. What y'all hanging at? The Piggly Wiggly. That's what we were hanging. Your, your teammates were bag boys. Did, did you uh, all crew? The girl you wanted to holler at, the girl you wanted to talk to was at the cash register. <laughs> Well, don't get it twisted, guys. I worked at Subway. That was my first job. Hey, yeah, man, you were a sandwich artist. You were a sandwich artist, Cordero. Brother, man, let me tell you something. Them sandwiches they got out now, I invented those a long time ago. <laughs> now, this is where the truth Y'all don't even yeah, know Gang Down Again. We get to the facts. We get to the facts. <laughs> I, would tell, I would tell that dude, who, who the little, Jared? Well, no, Jared. You're bad. You've done some bad things, Jared. <laughs> But hey, yeah, if they need to holler at me about my little, um, I need to recoup some of my finances from them, of course. <laughs> they, were out, they were stealing your ideas out there, weren't they? Hey, but, P, but PJ, to their defense, I do appreciate them from having me get from 225 pounds as a senior line, as a senior in high school. I, by the time I reported to Tech, I was 298. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Subway. <laughs> I eat eat fresh. What type of salad did you eat? <laughs> I mean, I'm not salads. What type of sandwich did you eat? Well, man, my mom, <laughs> right before games in, in middle school, my mom would bring me this. And no, it's the cheapest sandwich they got called a cold cut because you know how time cold is cold. Cold, cold cut combo. When I was younger, listen, before I got bougified, I would I would have a cold cut, man. I'd have a cold cut trio. That thing was $3.23 for the six inch. I know the price is by heart. four ninety six for the foot long. And if you want the meal, you know that went to a nice six fifteen. <laughs> but no, seriously, that. So now, I mean, I go and I want to, if, I, I, go, I shop at Publix now. I don't really go to I don't go to Subway. Oh, oh, oh you got food. <laughs> but, got if, food. If, but if I did go in there right now, I, when I did do venture off, I get the wraps or either the um, the grilled chicken breast. It's, it's still pretty good. Yeah, man, good. it's it's something about when you work somewhere and you know how things operate, you can kind of <laughs> pass by that place <laughs> with no hard feelings. <laughs> he didn't see the meat fall on the floor and pick, just pick that up, man. That's all right, man. They're gonna be okay. <laughs> I, was, I was a sandwich artist too. Now that wasn't you though, Cordell. You didn't do that, he was... bro. I used to be in there with my little tight T-shirt on. My name tag said "Trouble" because my manager loved us. Seriously, she loved us. One of us and both of us were teammates, so one of us said "Trouble" and the other one said "Trill," and that was us. <laughs> And we were, the, we were the two you would you we were the people you didn't want to close for you the night before because it might not have been as clean as you wanted to be the next day. Sandwiches delicious. Everything else we don't. I, I went from the green shirt to the purple shirt to the black. Are you <laughs> Listen, this is one of the best subway commercials of all time. If they get a hold of this, they're gonna owe you another check. 
So, man, Corey, that's awesome, man. So you had humble beginnings. Um, so how, how did you make it to Georgia Tech? Oh, I made it to Georgia Tech. Uh, my senior year uh, is just when life, when I'm not going to say life, it's ex- football took off for me. Like I said, I was a late bloomer. I didn't start playing football to the eighth grade. And I was, uh, for the better way of putting it, I was terrible for the first three years of it. I wouldn't even want my mom to come to a game because I'm like, if we don't get up by 100, you won't see your son on the field today. <laughs> and sometimes my coaches would be like, maybe 105. <laughs> so it was just it's a lot of competition in those small places like that. Some it's some kids that have been playing all their lives. Yeah. So my senior year is when it um, literally um, the, the schools who scouted me didn't scout me. They were scouting my quarterback mm-hmm. and they were like, who is this guy who's just all over the field playing multiple positions? Because I went from tight end to tackle to guard to center on back over to the other side. So versatility is what got me exposure. Mm. And um, then they want to know what his books were like. Well, let's just be honest. The guy here didn't make many B's in high school. It was all A's. And I literally got um, accepted to some Ivy League schools off academics. Nice. So it was the thing that came that it came down to. Georgia Tech was it says, hey, where could I go exercise myself? Because the NFL wasn't in the picture for me, guys. I'm not I'm not a growing up football person. I won't lie to anybody. It was just something I actually say I can got. I genuinely got out there and started loving to play the sport. And mm-hmm. I love the brotherhood. So my senior year, that's what happened. They were scouting some, they were scouting some other players. They scouted my quarterback or one of the, and also one of the linebackers on my team was like the number one linebacker in Alabama. Mm. But so of course I said, Hey, if I'm going to take one of these scholarships and I mean, I got offers from Alabama, you know, from home in Auburn, UAB, Ole Miss, just maybe like almost 20, but 22 division one schools just as a senior. So it came to me kind of fast. Mm-hmm. and my family wasn't in a position to travel far to see me play just in a better way of placing it so I made a decision that would work for us all I said hey for me personally I do have I have Philip Wheeler that was there he's from home and you know I, I knew him um and I had some f- couple friends in Atlanta but the biggest thing was the program I mean I came on my visit Prince he'll tell you I had a great time on my visit I met some great people but they were one of the few schools who really said, hey, you're going to get tested um, academically here. Didn't sell me on girls, didn't sell me on us, you know, having a chance at a national championship every year. Uh, didn't sell it on, hey, you can come play in your backyard or, hey, come out to the West Coast and play. Some for a Southern guy, you've never seen palm trees. Yeah, I didn't, other than Panama City, which is true. <laughs> and those were dead almost. So I said, hey. I'm going to go somewhere where my family's only an hour and a half away. I'm going to get tested academically wise. And then I'm going to get a chance to, to see if I can flourish in a major metropolitan city where mm. there will be tons of opportunity for someone who looks like me. Mm. Nice. Mm. Awesome. Look, I, I got a quick, quick story to share, Stan, when, um, when we were in college. <laughs> so <clears throat> when we were in college, I just, I just came on the scene as like the, the the superstar on campus, and so they were like, "Hey man, we got- <laughs> they were like, we got a recruit for you." I was like, "Recruit?" I was like, "What you mean?" I was like, "Come on, PJ, he a big time recruit, man. Come on, man, we need for you to get this guy to school." <laughs> I was just like, "Man, I got stuff I got to do, man." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he didn't know, didn't show, or just didn't care about his little brother coming to the why does that sound so familiar? I'm sure. <laughs> oh, uh, boys in the hood. I know. I know. <laughs> no, 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 no. 
<laughs> and man, um, man, make a long story short, we had a blast. Um, and and afterwards, he was just like, "All right, you're gonna be my big bro, man. You're gonna be my mentor." You know, I was just like, "Man, I'll see you. I'll you know, I'll, I'll see you later, man. I hope that you get a chance to come here." And I wasn't sure if he came. Um, I mean, if if he committed to our school. So surely, um, as the season went on, next season came. Guess who show up? What's up, bro? <laughs> I'm just like, he here. <laughs> he had his arms <laughs> He had his arms flared out wide, you know, just like, what's up, bro? What's up, man? Just like, oh, he here. He here. So, man, uh, it was just beautiful to see how you matured, Cord. You know, super proud of you, man. You just always been, been the light of the party. Everywhere we go, man, if you want to laugh, Cord is going to make sure that you laugh no matter what. Um, but he's he's definitely always been about his business, man. It's been it's been me, Cord, and Calvin. We always hanging out. We got we got a little funny trio, man, but um we we pretty much do everything together. The world's not ready for that group. <laughs> not ready for that group, man. We do everything <laughs> together. So um we're we're always working, you know, um trying to make sure Appreciate that we have on top of everything and stay focused on all our goals. So, you know, I was just really, really proud of you to see you um, in college and then make that, that transition to the NFL, man. So um, I want to talk about the NFL, man. Um, how was the NFL for you? How many years did you play in the NFL? Well, I got, I got, yeah, I got three seasons in and um, it was, I'm not going to say a dream come true. It was, it was an experience, man. It was, once you sit down and look at statistics of how many people even make it, wow. it's like, God almighty, you in a one percentile. That's like an unheard number. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to just, it was, it felt really good. It felt like home. Of course, my as a rookie, I, I became a starter basically almost the first day. Mm-hmm. But before the second game of the season, I was in, the, as, in a starting role, which was scary. You had to grow up really fast. You had to mature. And but I um, but let's just say God placed some great people in my life early mm-hmm. as far as coaches, uh, mentors. I uh, my coach that coached me in college made the transition to the NFL, which kind of later um, I'll say put a gateway out there for me. So I was comfortable when I got to the NFL. I was literally going through the same playbook that I was going through two years prior in college. So my retention was there. And that mean I could play fast and think even faster because this stuff is really it had been embedded in me and to see people had faith in me made me want to willingly go out and compete to um, just really show my appreciation, to be honest. That's, that's really the best way to put it. And so I got to see a lot. I, I got to be with some really great guys. Um, I, I went to like a team who was full of veterans, like a Marcus Stroud, or George Wilson, guys who had been in the business for a while. And they were the biggest thing about them or like a Spencer Johnson, they're like, hey, this as first a business, you know, it was really fun in college, but now you in high school and those times, but then you get to the NFL, this is business. Um, you really have to learn how to turn yourself into a carry yourself as, as, as so. And I'll say that that will be, that will be something that was really like embedded in me then. And it carried over to me now, current state, because if you can handle yourself a certain way, in that environment, if you could make a roster in the most hostile environments, then it prepared you for whatever came to you in life because everything else was really much of a challenge outside of a, like a terminal illness or something like that. Other than that, there's it really 
you didn't really feel like there was any other mountains to climb mm. until you climbed the mountain of transition. So other than that, that was it, you know? Climb the mountain of transition. Bars. <laughs> Heck yeah. So what would you say for, let's say, some players that are transitioning in or even out, some of the best advice that you received or something that you did that helped you? Obviously, they told you to do a lot of things or gave you some advice. What are some things that you did that helped you transition in and out? Like, what made that easier? Uh, the things that I did to transition in was latch on to people like PJ, latch on to people like Calvin, who are already at the highest level, or Michael Johnson and Phil Wheeler, those guys who are already in, who could carry that knowledge of what it takes to stay, to get, not just get here, because, man, you, it's just like anything. It's so easy to obtain something, but to hold on to it yeah. is a whole nother ball game. Yeah. And that, so that entailed, that entailed a lot. So these guys were just like, hey, it's a business. You always want to remember that. But they was like, hey, still have fun. In it. And then just appreciate the experience. Um, uh, PJ, no, you get a, your first year in the NFL around the week 10, you hit a wall. Mm-hmm. And it's like everything's so redundant, so repetitive. I do the same thing every day. And you hit a mental block. Yep. And all the coaches will say, you have to get over that block in order to just continue in this business because it's going to be like that every single year every single for year. you. So a lot of the biggest thing, a lot of these guys just told me mental toughness, um, perseverance, um, mastering your craft. Those were some of the things that helped me entering. Mm-hmm. And then once I got in there, I latched on, I latched on to um, knowledgeable people. It was maybe not hanging with the rookies so much, maybe starting to hang with some of these veterans that could tell me, hey, young buck, you know, it's if the game. coaches ain't yelling at you, trust me, that ain't a good sign, you know, and or, hey, they come to you after the game. You know, you can play better than that. You know, don't let being in a starting role take that humble guy that was an undrafted free agent that walked in here super hungry. Don't let that guy leave the building because that guy can play some ball. That guy had a chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that allowed me to once I got in there, they made it that made it comfortable for me. So I'll mm-hmm. say great guidance from a lot of veterans and then Joe DeLa Sanders, which is was my coach, PJ's coach in college as well, full of wisdom and love. He, he didn't he was a coach that told me even through the recruiting process, he was like, hey, don't I'm not gonna just be your coach. I'm not supposed to be a father figure outside of the father you already have at home. Mm. So when he said that that carried all the way from from my senior in high school all the way to my NFL career. So people like that who came in, they made the transition from college to the NFL, they made it, you know, they made it an easier transition for me. But the hard, but it was still hard work. Of course, we all know that. Right. And it was always one of those things where they'd always say, you put you, you get out of it what you put in. I mean, he didn't use it that way. Trust me, he said a different word. Cable <laughs> TV word. Now, freshly being into the game, I would always tell those guys, man, put in what you want to get out. Amazing. You know, so, so Oh, no, please go ahead, Pete. No, I just said so true. Go ahead, Sam. You know, so as you, you know, transition out of the NFL, I'm actually going to ask, like, what did you enjoy most? And, you know, what was the most difficult part as you transitioned out? But what did you enjoy most once you were out of the NFL? Well, I would say there are a few things that, that, um, that I enjoy most about playing one of the biggest things is honestly, man, um, being a, being someone that people looked up to. Um, even you, you would get letters in the, you would get letters into your lockers and stuff from people you didn't know from a can of paint, who enjoyed your story, enjoyed your journey, 
and they were there along the way. You know, you had a lot of negative stuff in that stuff, and you're going to have all your critical people. But when that, when you had that kind of those kind of people to kind of come back in and just have it, you you got it in your head, man. This is what it's really worth. And then also the locker room. I don't think I miss anything about the sports outside of being able to sit in the room and talk day in and day out to guys that were going through exactly what I'm going through. And they were so relatable. The locker room became your comfort zone. You were more comfortable in the locker room than you were at home. So when you walk away from that, man, that's tough. And then identity. Um, most guys, before you, if, when you're in NFL, you'll say what you do before you say who you are. Oof. And that's that's tough, man. Yeah. Um, that's tough wow. because you literally take on an identity that you will put before your name, before your before your God given name. You put what you do out there. And then for something that doesn't last long, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't last forever. Now it's time to take that part and turn it around. And now to the forefront, you should have been presenting who you were the whole time. You know what I mean? That's wow. that's that's what it turned into. It turns into you lose your identity. That's what it feels like. That's when you hear people say, I was depressed because I didn't know who I was anymore because I no longer had an identity. I only had an occupation. Mm. And my occupation was, I'm an NFL player. You held your head up when you said that. You stuck your chest out. Mm. You never, I, you would almost not even hold your head up saying your name. It was like, I'm Kadera Howard, but I'm an NFL player. Mm. That's what I do. You know, that's what it turned into. And that's if you if you were talking to some other guys and you said, hey, I'll give you some knowledge going into the game or while you're in there. You I will always say, just remember who you are outside. Take the helmet off. Remember who you are. Mm. Take the title of an NFL player off your name. and Remember who you are. That's how you're going to make the transition of staying in there and doing really well. And but that's also how you're going to make the transition out without it having to be a painful transition because there are a lot of amazing people. You don't might see, not see it on the 30 for thirties because it's not marketable, but there's a lot of people who leave that game and do some amazing things. And they may not even been household names. They were just guys who say I had a platform. I didn't identify myself as my occupation and I may find out that life got a lot better afterwards. Hey, I can hang my hat on some of those accolades. Yeah. Reflect back, say, man, I had a great time doing that. And it set me up to be the person I am now. Mm. Mm. Man, yeah, amazing. That's, that's that was a lot of wisdom in everything he just said. So that was beautiful. Yeah, man. You know, it's as much introspection as you have, and being able to look back and remember where you came from. You know, what's some advice that you would give a younger version of you? Obviously, you've overcome some things, worked through quite a bit. You know, and and even made sure that you're an academic. You know, that studies were important to you and the family. Go for it. But what is some advice that you would give to the younger version, Cordero? Um, this is something I took away from Michael Johnson. He was my roommate at Tech. Just retired after almost 11 seasons. Um, Michael wrote his goals out and put them on the wall in the room. And out of everyone in the room, me and him were the only two that left and went to the NFL. But even out of me and him, he played a longer career. Because Michael Johnson carried himself as a business since the day he walked into the college, into Georgia Tech, and it went on. He didn't have to become a business when he got to the NFL because he already knew how to carry himself. He said, hey, 
I have goals. I wrote them down. I see them every single day. I have a weight room. That is where I tune my body. I have a field. That's where I go and tune my skills. But I always reflect back on who I am and what I've been blessed with. And he's and carrying that and knowing who you are and knowing what you've been blessed with, carry that throughout this whole process and learn how to carry yourself as a business, that will have you some sustainability like none other. Ooh. That's what I would have told my younger self. I would have told my younger self to grow the hell up and to um, to not laugh at wisdom. I got raised by my great grandfather mostly. And you're talking about a 75 year old guy driving you to practice every morning, spitting wisdom on you, sitting on the porch with a bunch of older people. And I soaked in that knowledge and a lot of it I place out there now, but I wish I would have placed it to the forefront to me when it mattered the most. So that's, so things like that is what it comes down to. Oh, wow. Wisdom. Yeah. That was a heavy statement as well. You know, we don't know, let's say I, I consider it being like a superhero, right? Like they mm-hmm. had their artillery belt of things that they may never use. or know if they use, but it's like picking up those things along the way as you picked up your great grandfather and now being able to use them and deploy them when necessary oh, yeah, for like this. So thank you for sharing that. You know, it's one thing to be able to look back, but really be able to get in tune with heck. Cause those are things that you can still use today. Right. Oh. Like it would help the younger you, but now you're like, it can really help me today. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man. Wow. Awesome. So aside from that, Cordell, like I know that, your 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 feet are are firmly placed in this financial world, and I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't tiptoe or at least discuss that. You know, what took you to like, hey, we need to discuss. I need to learn more, be able to help folks through their financial journey. What brought that about? Just wasn't a household discussion in my house growing up. Uh, what I did, the, a backstory to it is just me having to just see how a lot of people that look like me, like I said earlier, we can gain the world, but how, how can we, how, how does it sustain? Well, if you don't have that experience on how to help, how to, how to keep something. And as minorities, historically, we aren't good with money because let's be honest, growing up for a lot of us, you just did get food on the table to eat. So you said your grace and you were grateful for that opportunity to eat that day. I didn't sit there and talk about, okay, so what's going on in the stock market? What's going on in, how are we budgeting money in the house? You know, we were grateful for what we had right there. And I would say that it really just made me sit back and say, okay, what are those things that we lacked growing up? And what is a reasoning behind that? And I would say, hey, well, my mother worked multiple jobs. So a lot of times I had a mother, single mother of four. So you could meet all, I don't know, I know PJ, your father, you can you imagine doing that by itself with just you with four kids? So she worked multiple jobs. She would get up before day and go to the battery plant. And then she would go be the manager at a deli, at Publix Deli. So she would make the income, but she's providing for four. Didn't have the educational pieces. She didn't have the college degree. She literally, she said, I just know how to work and provide. That never came with knowing how to store, knowing how to save, 
knowing what to allocate to this, that, and the third. It was because, hey, I'm just getting in enough to survive right. for me and my kids. Right. So it just really the examples just came from seeing. Mm. I said, if you don't want to be placed in that position, it's not a knock, a ding, or anything on your mom or any of the other people that raised in that situation, but it's just like anything else. What did you take from that? Did right. you say, let me get out here in the world and gain it all and end back up in this situation? Or did it say, hey, let me go out here and put myself in a position to be educated, gain whatever it is that I am going to gain, and then sustain it. Like, mm-hmm. let me keep it. Let me maintain it and grow it from there. That right. So that was the biggest thing. I say I, I wanted to put into the households of people that look like me mm-hmm. just tidbit pieces about, hey, how does your, not just how the now looks, but what are we tracking towards? I think a lot of people, I think what I help people do more so than not is to have that vision. When you talk about financial planning, you're, you're saying, Hey, what are your concerns now? Mm-hmm. What are, what do you think your future concerns are? And then how do we work to keep, what is it, what it is that me and you're going to sit down and do that's going to allow you to sleep at night knowing that, Hey, I'm tracking towards those goals I have. Right. And a lot of it came back to us saying it's not for me. That's you. Mm. You hear that more times than not. Right. And then I got sick of people saying that's not for me. Mm. You know what I mean? I think so, financial, financial literacy is for anybody who wants that knowledge. Oh, so it's not, what, what, what do you do um, when when someone says that it's not for me? Because I, no. I, I know I, me personally, I, I know that you're a motivator. So. What do you do? How do you get them? I honestly ask why. Why would you feel it's not for you? And then the biggest thing is they'll say, well, I mean, I'm used to struggling. Mm. Or, hey, I'm not used to getting this. I'm not used to having X amount of money. So all I know to do when I get it is to spend it because I never had it. And Mm. I never had no one sit down and tell me, okay, budget your money. You know, make sure you're looking into your, you know what I'm saying? Make sure you're allocating funds toward retirement. Make sure, hey, if you're a business, you're paying yourself. Make sure They didn't have that guidance because it wasn't naturally rooted in them. Mm. And that's mm. when it goes back to what we talked about earlier. If it's rooted in you, those things come out to you when it, when it comes around to that point in life, you know? Right. So I think the biggest thing is right now is just educating us enough to have you stop saying that it's not for me. Because saying that it's not for you allows a lot of people to pass you but you were given equal opportunity on that. You just kind of had a dead ear to it. Oof. Wow. That's beautiful. It, you know, um, do you find yourself having more financial conversations whenever you're just out? It's, it's, you know, now that you're in that field, like, do you just, just rolls off your tongue? Because I, I know a lot of people speak no. about money. No, <laughs> I'm joking. I, the thing about it too is, you just got to think about scenery. I'm not going to, I don't, you don't want to be that person with your friends and all you're doing is talking about finances because you do that for a living. Right. But also I will be doing my people around me an injustice. If I'm going to have them go put their money into situations with people they don't know and don't trust without at least having a third eye look over it. Gotcha. You know what uh, I mean? Even yeah. if you don't work with me, let me at least sit down and look at some stuff for you. And I can give you some more educated advice based on what I know in my profession and know from just my four years of what almost four years now of being in the financial world. Mm. And I'm always like, if I can't answer this, trust me, I'll have someone who can, because I have a team. Right. It's not just me. I have an amazing team. So it's like, Hey, if one, you know, one presents the opportunity, the team breaks it down and we maximize that opportunity, maximize everything for our clients. You know what I mean? I'm not one of those I, 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 I people, because those are the people who I always watch out for. Because I don't know everything. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a great point. And so let, let's say uh, I'm young, heck, I'm middle aged, whatever. I just came into some money. Maybe I just got drafted. What's the first bit of advice you would give someone? A player hits you up, I'm like, hey, you saw what just happened. What do I do? Like, is there I would, any- I would grill them. Uh, if it was an NFL player, I'd say, hey, first of all, prior to this, did you go put yourself in a position? Uh, maybe you took money from an advisor or, or an agent or something that, okay, what are you owed out right now? Mm. Find out what you owed out right now, to be honest. And then when you know what you're owed out, then you'll know what you're working with. A, I'll remind them that half the money they make is going in taxes. Then I'll remind them that their rookie year, mm. that they, you know you, you put into your 401k, but you got to remember your rookie year, the NFL doesn't match it. They don't match it until your next year. So make sure you know that. But also make sure you look at what your your – what your 401k is being allocated in. And I also remind them that you pay dues every week to the NFL. So don't ever get that out of your mind that you pay the NFL dues. And uh, the average player leaves the NFL their rookie year as of like 28, uh, 2018 or 2019 with about seventy about $75,000 of liquid cash because, A, half your money goes to taxes. You pay your dues. You pay your 401k. You pay your agent. You pay your financial people and your regular living. And you don't think about that stuff when you have this amazing number that sits out there like, whoo, I'm making 600000 this year. Well, off the top, <laughs> I'm saying, say, give me half that. So right. when, I always tell them, look at the half picture. I have half of this. Right. I don't only have to make it through the season. Mm. I have to make it through an off season before I'm going to get another check. Oof. So I would say, save. I would say, do I would say live minimal because at the end of the day, when you're playing during the season, everything's allotted to you. You're eating at the stadium three times a day almost. You're traveling and getting a stipend on Saturday. So you're getting groceries. You know, during the week you have your groceries for the house. I just, I just, I just, I just rather you um save your money during the season and then sit down at the offseason and say, hey, I have I have X amount of dollars that I made. I didn't have I didn't spend it crazy. I didn't I wasn't going out here buying five thousand dollars suits. Um, I wasn't buying cars zero miles on them. I'm I left I'm able to leave out of the season. I always want to say to these guys, leave out of the season with six figures. Mm. That's great. That way, advice, crying, that way you're not home during the offseason crying and looking to run back to your team because I don't have anything. Mm. And I think people, I think the biggest thing is with the guys is they don't really realize that you only get paid for 17 weeks. 17 weeks. And then so you have what, 35 more weeks left. Into 17 weeks. And it's and it's and I'll always say this first year is not about saving the world. Mm. It's about establishing yourself. Because mm. you're no good to anybody if you don't end up anything after this. Ooh, woof. Good googly move. Oh man. Oh man, that was amazing. That was amazing. How you mentioned earlier that you encourage people to live um, very minimal, but how do you encourage somebody that has not had anything to live minimal? Because, you know, the desire inside of them is like, what? We got all this money. Cause I, I'll never forget when I first got my paycheck, when I first got my bonus check, I was like, Oh, okay. Ooh, wow. Ooh, wow. wow. I, 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 I was like, I'm about to pass out. I was like, hold on, hold on. I was just like, okay. I was like, this is for the season. There's like, yeah. And then I was just like, okay, okay, cool. And then it was like, you're going to get another check. I was like, I'm getting another check for real? I was like, oh, okay. Okay. I was like, I'm going to cool down. I'm calm. I'm cool. You're going to give me all this money, and you're going to give me some more money. 
I was like, all right, all right, all right. I just need to make sure. And so as soon as I got my check, I was just like, I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> I went and called my agent. I was like, I, I need a car right now. That's when I bought that BM. <laughs> That's 550 right away. I was like brand new. When they brought it to me, it had three miles on it. I was like, who who drove my car? <laughs> they said we had to get it off the truck, brother. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, there's no way that you can reverse them out. <laughs> and I honestly believe you did that because you're real petty. <laughs> hey, <laughs> man. hey, hey, but 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 you have that desire. How do you tell the players to 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 simmer down because that seems like a boring life when everybody else gets in the bag. They got chains, they got cars, they have everything. It's that monkey see, monkey do type of um, attitude and environment. So what do you, what type of advice do you give them? I'd let them know it's a one contract league most of the time. Mm. I'm not going to make it past your first contract. Ooh. So if I know I'm not going to make it past my first contract, not saying that I'm not going to work hard enough and not put myself in a position to not, I'm going to say, hey, if someone told me I am going to, in three, in four years or two or three years that I'm going to make, worst case scenario, half a million dollars. And I'm going to be in position to where if I market myself the right way and have the right people, half the things around me are going to be free. Mm. Then I'll ask myself, where is the room for me to go blow that money? And what is the reason for me to when I don't even have a reason to? Because when you make it to that <coughs> the highest pedestal, when it comes to that, when you make it to that level, your name buys you everything you want. I would, I would, I would challenge them to get. I would always challenge these guys to. I'm not gonna say find the the most frugal person on the team, but I would, I would challenge them to pick the brains of the guys who got picked up in their same spots, the same directions, and ask them what it is that they do with their money, and and then they'll find out that it may be some people in that locker room who've been playing for five years. But if they don't make it to a new contract, they're going to have nothing. Mm. And you ask them, do you want to be in that position? Do you want to be in a position where you enjoy every single thing that you have in your 20s? And then when you hit 30 years old, all you have now is the memories. Mm. Then you be, you're going to build resentment for yourself. And you're always going to you're, you're, you're almost going to feel like you wish you didn't make it. Oh, so I would always tell. So I would any like any of my current players that I have right now in the NFL, I got them to, and I got this from, from Bilbo. He said, get them to go root themselves back where they're from. If, why you need to go buy a new car when you can just go sign some, you can go sign some cars and a local car dealership will give you a car. Boom. That's one of the biggest bills gone. You might pay car insurance and they might cover that. Why would you, why would you have a house? Why would you have a place where you play and where you plan to be during the off season? Get you a, get you a month to month lease because you can be out of there tomorrow. And you'll be stuck with a lease. Get you a month to month. Get you a roommate your first year. I had one. No shame in my game. It's like you need to find somebody that's going to humble you. You need to find that person in the locker room going to say, hey, you ain't got nothing yet. I was blessed to train with Marcus Stroud and PJ and those guys like that. Didn't know me and Stroud would be teammates. But he said, hey, boy, that's gas money you get your first year. That's gas money. And for us, and for the people who look like us sometimes that come from different situations, man, people, even family members, it make you think, even I've seen cases where parents make people feel like they got to pay them back for raising them. Mm. That's because, but that's also because they don't know any better as well. Right, right. Wow. 
So oh, I, I like to, when I'm dealing with players, I like to talk to their parents. I like to educate the players, but I also like to educate the parents as well because I have to let them know that what it looks like on paper and what it is sometimes are, man, they're two extreme different things. And when you can get that understanding and you can get them to sit down and say, hey, Cordero, you're right. You know, I'm only getting paid for 17 weeks. I'm putting money into my 401k. I'm paying my dues. You know, I have a I have a place here. I split it. You know, I pay month to month. You're right. I don't need I'm I don't need the Rolex my first year. Mm. I don't need the brand new BMW with no miles on it my first year. Mm. I may not even get a car my first my first season. I may I like to encourage them to get a rental car in that city because they give the team discounts. Mm. Wow. So why not take advantage of that as opposed to pulling a car note for something you may not even want once the season's over with. Mm. So eliminate that factor too. You get what I'm saying? Just yeah. things like that, man. Just being mindful that, hey, I don't know if a next year is going to exist for me. That's what I'll tell them. And they don't want to hear it, but that's what I'll tell them anyway. That's oh, a third round draft pick. I'm going to be here next year. Not these days. They don't invest enough in you to not want to cut you no more. That's also a great point. I just seen a first round draft pick that's only played, that's been there for three seasons now. For the Jaguars now is a free agent. Who was that? Leonard Fournette. He was yep. released yesterday. What? Rushed for thousand yards last year. And You're expendable. Really? It's not, like, it's not like a Calvin Johnson age where they threw you this money up front, or or the quarterback. What's the quarterback? Bradford made more money. It's just hey, their teams were more on the hook for it. Now they're not. So mm. your status and your it does not matter if you're not producing or we feel like you're not a good fit, you're out of here. Wow. So that messes with your money. Yes. And if these guys don't understand that, then I'm, I feel sorry for them because this is real. Yeah. And if you don't take the time, and it also it goes back to their college days. You don't. I don't have a. We didn't take a college course to say, hey, if you do make it to the next level, this is how you should handle yourself business wise. They don't teach that in college. No. Because they think it may give the guys too much foresight on seeing things, but let's be realistic. What is the goal for most guys that come into a collegiate level? Their mind is thinking to make it to the next level. So some some of the uh, infrastructure into some of how these colleges are, are are set up should go to that. I mean, I have friends who are, it's a situation, and Gary Guy touched on this. He was a former player. He was like, you don't get a lot of the opportunity to grow with your pockets. Mm. Your pockets just get fat. Ooh. So when your pockets get fat, your ears close because who can tell me anything? Mm. That's it. Don't get a chance to grow with your pockets. You don't. You don't. A doctor goes from college, medical school, residency, to now he's practicing. All those things along the way had to teach him how to just keep this little money I'm making doing my residency because I'm probably using somebody to pay back some of my student loans. Facts. I don't have anything. I'm get. I'm. I'm. I'm literally getting clients who just in their 50s celebrating paying off their loans, their student loans. Mm. But they've had practices that have been making millions of dollars over the years. They grew with their pockets. Mm-hmm. You talk about a guy fresh out of college. You throw him a half a million dollars. Where did that growth come from to your pockets? No, brother. You got. You skipped the line. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. You skipped the line. So true. And that means you were put out there and and you that you if you play it by the book and you're not talking to financial guys or you're not talking to agents prior to this, 
then that means you're just raw and you're out yeah. here. So if yeah. your parents didn't, if you didn't come from money or a household that had a lot of financial literacy, you right. are you're literally swimming out in the ocean with no life jacket, no right. speedboat, no boating site, no submarine coming to rescue you. Yeah. What do you do? You have yeah. to, and then you expect you expected to take a couple weeks to have someone look over, to have someone to gain the tr- to get someone's trust. Or you're trying to trust somebody in two weeks to say, hey, okay, now you're going to be the one to run my money. Yeah, it right. happen like that. Right, it's right. It's hard. It's a Oof. hard process. So if we didn't give you that knowledge already or you didn't come from it, then you end up that guy on 30 for 30 who made $100 million, but now you have it. You have nothing. That means oh, you're going to resent God. yourself because all you're going to be known for now is being that person who got it all and lost it. Right. So whether you're a strong person mentally Oof. or not, that stuff carries, and then the influence of others out, is out there, and they're constantly knacking on it, knacking on it. I would tell somebody the other day, you won't see a 30 for 30 for these guys, who the NBA guy who played three seasons, but now has the most Wendy's out here in America. <laughs> he, he didn't even have a max deal. He didn't have any of that stuff. But you know what he said? He said, because I knew I was never going to get a max deal. I had to plan accordingly. So I always tell my guys to enter with an exit scheme, an exit strategy. If you can enter with an exit strategy, if you can take your off seasons to educate yourself and not just chase women, spend your money up, because if you take the time in your off time to some of these guys, like I had a lot of like teammates of mine and people hate to say it, but I had a lot of, of my white teammates. These guys were taking, these guys were starters, but they were taking internships in this, in this, in the off time, they were doing broadcasting boot camp, and they transitioned smoothly into it, as opposed to my other guys who strictly said, "I'm just gonna work out and kick it. Mm. I'm gonna let the chips fall as they may." Mm. And then when it's transition time to leave here, I didn't enter with an exit strategy, so I'm just here. Wow. Oof, man. Woo. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Man. Enter with an exit strategy. That, that's man. amazing. Prince, what else do you have, man? What, what man, you have? I, I have so many more things I want to keep going, but I know our show's going to come to an end pretty soon. But, man, you you mentioned so many incredible things. But the one thing that I do want to mention is you mentioned transition. And I want to transition to, to like, what you're doing now and how you're being such an influence on on the social media platform. You know, when when when, um, when you talk about grind and when you talk about mindset, I've seen you put in the work. Um, I, I, I made a vow to myself I was going to work out for 365 days, and I still do that. Um, I just don't – I'm just not big on posting it on social media. Sometimes, some days I get on post on social media and post. Some days I don't. But uh, it's me and my brother. It's me, you. Um, um, uh, Leger, uh, DeJuan. Leger, DeJuan, 26-bit. You know, you, know, right, you got uh, Ricky Sapp and – Okay, my it for me it is is this. I don't I don't know who that I played with or who I've been uh, came across in life who hey, I don't know their current situations. And for me, I'm happy with knowing that I didn't keep all that weight on me from playing football. You know, mm. I say hey, um I for me personally my family, I, I do it for a lot of people in my family as well because a lot of people are bad eaters where I'm from. They 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 don't exercise properly. And then later in life, you get these complications. My grand, my grandmother passed of congested heart failure. So mm-hmm. I kind of vowed to myself. And even seeing with my father struggle with certain things sometimes until he started deciding to 
to do some things right. I said, I got to just lead by example. Mm. You know, I had to lead by example and I need to hold myself accountable. But then when I started posting stuff, people started holding me accountable as well. Mm. So then it becomes a community of being held accountable by different people. Right. And and the, when you talk about the grind, come on, Prince, we used to waking up at five o'clock in the morning, 430, getting the workout in. Or for me, I'm waking up at five. I'm getting my oatmeal in me. Um, handling business. If I have my, my kids, you know, doing all that, then I'm getting to the gym mm. because that, because again, the locker room wasn't just my place of peace. Also the gym was yeah. as well. So it's where nothing else matters is when I'm in, is when I, when I walk in that door, what, whatever's outside that door, it's, it's irrelevant right now. Those two and a half hours I'm in there, I'm going to, I'm going to use those to, to set my day. And so that's my first two hours a day start. Yes. They start definitely starting the gym. Uh-huh. And then I'm clear headed going to my office mm. and I'm ready to tackle the day. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm Because I, I feel refreshed. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I trained with Prince out there in uh, San Diego. First thing we would do, we're up at five o'clock, you know, either meditating or you're getting your juices that you're getting, you know, you, um, you're juicing and you, and you, and you're, you're doing whatever it is to get yourself, but you show up. Right. <laughs> when you're getting up and you're showing up. Yep. That is that is that is setting the stage. You that know, setting the stage, you're setting the stage for yourself, man. That's it. Like you, you prepare, you prepare for what you have next. And you know that that morning routine of getting up and working out in the morning, um, it's priceless. It's invaluable because you've already ta- attacked the hardest thing in your day. And now, yeah. you, now, now after that, you just go and live your day. So it's it's a rhythm, it's a flow, and I love it, man. And um, I, I love that you continue to keep posting because you hold me accountable. But I'm 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 known for holding myself accountable. But I mean, just by you know trying to be consistent in my posting, you help me out with that because I'm I'm a little bit more reserved when it comes to social media. But now I'm getting out there, and I appreciate you for that, man. I love yeah, you and, it's, and you don't you don't never know who it reaches. You know what I mean? That's the that's the beautiful thing. It, you know, it's pros and cons to everything. You say pros and cons to social media, pros and cons right. to some of that. But given the right context, the right uh, origin of where you what where it's starting from and what you're trying to do, yeah, it, it's more so helpful than offending to anyone, right? You know, I, you feel better, um, your confidence is there, and and it sh- and and it should show. You yeah. don't have to hide that. That's a blessing. You don't have to hide that, man. Don't. <laughs> let me tell you, something, man. Don't don't hide it. I know people are like, man, this guy don't keep his shirt on no more. <laughs> don't hide it, baby. Don't hide hey, it, baby. Man, the picture that 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 we have for you, ooh, you look like you look like the marshmallow man from Ghostbusters. You know. <laughs> but now, man, you you interesting. Looking, <laughs> I wouldn't even do that to you. I ain't do it. Thank you, bro. Now, now, now you're looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, illegitimate kid, man. You looking swole. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <Get> the chopper. <laughs> oh I got man. The chopper. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> so last but not least, man, this is the, the part of the show where it gets serious. And, you know, I, I want to ask you, um, man, you, you have three kids. You have a lot of people that's dependent on you. You made it out of Alabama and um, you are a role model to everyone, you know, but the, everybody that's passing in 2020 and like, like Bill Bowles, like, dang, you trying to put a, a, a voodoo on me, a crux on me? I'm like, that, definitely not. One, two, three, you're knocking on wood because that's not going to ever happen to oh, me. You got say work to do. But um, what would you tell your family if you knew that you only had three days left to live? Mm. 
What would be that one thing, or if not that one thing, what would be something that you would want them to know and to remember and take with them all the time? Um, man, the biggest thing I start off, I, I mean, of course, I'll start off telling them how much I love them and I appreciate them and how much they made me, you know, because sometimes we, we get to the point where we're the example, but you got made up of something. So I would also pre- tell them I appreciate them for making me who I am. Mm. And then I would literally, I would just tell them, hey, to just let some of the things that I instilled in them just from whenever I do cross paths with whomever, let those things live in you. Don't don't let it die out because I'm not here. And for my kids, I would just, I would just, of course, just keep reminding them that daddy loves them mm-hmm. and that, hey, I'm going to always live in them. But to just, hey, always, then I'm, I'm just telling them, hey, live in the moment. I mean, it's 60 seconds in a minute, right? So each one of those seconds, something's going on. So I would say, live. I would, I would kind of just leave that there. I'll say, sixty seconds make sixty memories. So if it's three days left, and I'm gonna make three memories that people are gonna stay with forever, you know. Sixty seconds make sixty memories. Ooh. I appreciate that big time. Absolutely amazing. Any final thoughts for you, Cordero? Anything you want to share? I know we have your social media up there and so forth, but any final thoughts from you before we get out of here? Uh, I would just thank you guys for this podcast. I think it's it's needed. Um, with all the negative, not even the negative, with all the narratives that are going on out here now, it's and a lot of it. We're more. It just shows you we're more than athletes. We're more than you know. We have more influence than we than sometimes we give ourselves credit for. We have a bigger platform sometimes than we give ourselves credit for, and it's just not the current players. It's the past players too. Um, I think a lot of it, it helps guys who may have felt like they died off on being important. It now brings them back to the forefront and it says, hey, not only should you reflect, but you should appreciate, you know, who you are, what your journey was. So, I, I mean, I've really I've, I've honed in on that and I see the purpose of the show because I think I've just just PJ over the years. Everything's about purpose. Everything that happens is led up. It, it had a it had a purpose. It had a base to it, and I mean, I think what you guys are doing with the platform, I think it's amazing, and I'm just looking forward to seeing it grow and 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 have an opportunity to be on here and to just I guess be a part of it. You know, is I, I appreciate it from on, on my end because I think it's even if it only touches one person and it gives them a sense of of urgency on hey whether I'm a current player, former player, whatever. Hey, it's all about transition, man. Because the because the heartaches that a person that only played for six, for a year or two years or three years, it's the same heartache the guy that played for 12 years is going to encounter mm-hmm. leaving out of this game. Right. It's what am I going to do once my identity, once my so-called identity has been stripped? Oof. What you're going to do is you're going to smile and you're going to transition because you're still alive. You've been blessed. You've been put in a position to be influential to so many people. So that appreciation alone for those things should help you ride that wave. And so and I and I just I just um, encourage you guys to keep reminding people to hone in on their identity, know who they are, appreciate who they are. And then it shows it'll start showing it'll start it'll start manifesting in everybody, you know, man. 
Oh, yeah. I got one last thing to say. Cord, I just want to tell you, man, I, I love you and I appreciate you because I never forget when when um, when we were training in San Diego and I was just I was at the, the last bit of my, my, my depression curve. Um, I remember I remember you told me you was just like, Pete, you you did what what you did, what what we did not do, what we did not know how to do. Um, and he said, man, we've always looked up to you. So uh, no matter what you do, man, he said, he said, you can keep your head down, but don't keep it down long. He said, because you always got somebody looking up to you. Uh, or, or you said, don't feel down because you always got somebody looking up to you. I forgot exactly how you said it, man. But whatever that you said, it resonated with me and it made me stand up and remember who I am and what my name was. And it was Prince. And um, and and I walked into that, man. So I appreciate you for that. So. Man, that's that's love, man. So thank you for doing that and being a great brother, brother. Nah, no problem, man. Man, Can't thank you enough, you know, for being here and sharing the wisdom that you did share. Uh, And maybe we'll do this again because I know you have even more to share with us as well. So thank (laughs) you for being here. Y'all send me an invitation. I'm going to accept it anyway. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. I I mean, that's just a part of it, man. I can, I think this stuff is, it needs to it needs to bleed out into a lot of people. Um, I think a lot of problems you can talk you can just talk through. You can um, relatability, like you know, you're not in God didn't make that situation just for you. Trust me, some other people that been on that same boat, took that same path, and right. and got over it. They didn't dwell. I mean, they didn't dwell. That's the biggest thing with all this we talk about is dwelling. Do we remain in this one state or do we transition? Do we evolve? Once we you get those things going, man. Hey. That's and awesome. I want to tell you that because when I say that to you guys, I say it to myself because I've learned that even when it comes to me being in this business that I'm in, I'm talking to people and I'm helping people, but I'm helping myself at the same time. Ooh. Like, because you, you start holding yourself accountable. You start practicing what you preach and then you start living it. There's a process to it. Then it becomes second nature. And until it becomes second nature, and I mean fully second nature, I'm just preaching to the wheels fall off. Preaching to the wheels fall off. Woo. Stan, go ahead and close this out, man. Yeah, thank you so much, Cordero, for joining us today. <laughs> thank you for sharing your story and being so transparent and helping us uh, with this transition. For those of you watching, please don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube page, Game Beyond the Game. You can join us here next week on Game Beyond the Game Facebook every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And remember, you know that uh, you're always working the transition. Uh, you're not alone. So appreciate you all. Have a good one. Yes, sir. Man, thanks, man. Man, thank you. Peace. Peace out. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new show is posted. And please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about our events, courses, and other programming, check out GameBeyondTheGame.com. Thanks so much for listening. Peace.